Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. It's impossible to look back on the Trump presidency without analyzing an important subsect of Trump's base, QAnon. People who believed that Trump was the figurehead of an almost spiritual battle against pedophilic elites serving the deep state. The movement offered a fascinating insight on the political zeitgeist in America. But after January 6th, the mass purge of QAnon material from the internet, and the shutting down of 8chan, anonymous poster Q, which spearheaded the QAnon political movement, went largely silent. But the energy behind the QAnon movement continued, morphing into other beliefs and causing a consequential shift in the Republican Party's base. As much as this phenomenon was analyzed and overanalyzed by the corporate media, very few people were following the movement from the beginning in an honest way to truly understand the significance of it and where these kinds of taboo subcultures continue to go and impact our culture. QAnon Anonymous is a podcast that became wildly popular for covering QAnon early on and has only continued to grow by expanding its analysis to things like the world of male influencers, conspiracism, and other subgenres of US politics. Our very own Mike Preisner was recently featured on their podcast in December to give a fascinating two-part expose on Tulsi Gabbard. It's one of the only comprehensive things out there that digs into all the bizarre and disturbing angles, from Tulsi's membership in an abusive cult, to taking millions from a Nazi-inspired party in India to launder their image, to her many rebranding operations. I loved seeing an Empire Files crossover with a podcast I appreciate and respect so much, and I wanted to bring that back to our platform as well. So we had in the studio Julian Field, the creator, producer, and co-host of the QAnon Anonymous podcast for a discussion I've been wanting to have for a long time. What everyone has gotten right and wrong about the QAnon movement, as well as a deep analysis on the increasingly bizarre political climate today. Hope you enjoy, and be sure to check out QAnon Anonymous and all the insightful, prolific content they have there. Julian Field. Hello, Abby. <laughs> in studio, in the Empire Files podcast studio. That's right. Is Nothing it as like good as the Anonymous one? Um, we don't have a lava lamp. <laughs> so we're already losing. Our weights are much smaller. <laughs> we're not able to actually lift almost any of those that I, I can see. Really. This is just a flex, here. man. We don't actually work out. Um, no, just kidding. So, <laughs> Julian, thank you so much for coming in studio. It's good to have you here. Uh Let's talk about your podcast, your huge viral podcast. <laughs> um, it became popular really fast, and it was, I wouldn't even say it was during the height of the QAnon madness. It was like before, like you were able to kind of predict how, where it was going to go way before the mainstream media. You know, they kind of picked up on it way later, and it became really kind of cartoonish, partisan, and dismissive, and overgeneralized a lot of what was going on. So, how did you have that? insight at the beginning. Give us the inside story. Yeah, I think we were as surprised as anybody. Um, you know, I was like looking to do a podcast in the the world of, you know, the political and um, we were planning on covering topics um, like biohacking or like rent a friend phenomenons in Japan, this kind of idea of like a post reality where we've like profoundly changed the way that we take in the world and understand ourselves and our connection to others. And uh, that kind of wasn't, it was starting to fall apart because someone like basically left town. And, but I wanted to still do it with Jake, who who's, you know, a co-host of QAA. And late one night, he was just like, you know, like he had started talking to me about conspiracy theories, 
but specific ones like Seth Rich and you know Hillary Clinton and stuff and he was like you know I think like something I think Hillary Clinton's going to get like arrested or whatever and I was like I was no fan of of Hillary's but I was like where where are you getting this stuff you know he's like yeah man I'm all in man like I found this this cool ass new thing called Q and I was like whoa what's like what's that and he like so he showed me where he'd been getting it and um and I was like this is amazing what the fuck is this this is so esoteric and like it also kind of um, fits in perfectly with what I wanted to explore or what I'd gotten more interested in, which was, you know, politics and, um, and more generally, you know, kind of like American, um, I wouldn't say extremism just cause that word has been like, you know, used and abused, but I guess, uh, ways of thinking that spread among the, whether it be like MLMs or, you know, the propagation of cults. It's like how how do how are ideas currently like replicating and spreading and kind of like contaminating people, you know? Um and so I was like, I I I was like, let's do a podcast and we'll call it Q Not Anonymous because I'll help you like get off the sauce. <laughs> like literally, like I'm gonna, you know, and it was like, you know, he's what we ran into very quickly is that he didn't believe most of the QAnon stuff because he only like liked a part of it. You know, he liked the like certain aspects of Spygate and stuff, which like to be honest, some of the stuff that back then he was like, yeah, like this is happening. I'm like, you know, in retrospect, somewhat warranted. I don't believe the Seth Rich thing. And I also know that Hillary Clinton was not arrested. Uh, the, those things we know. But, you know, there were there were other aspects of um, the relationship of like, you know, three-letter agencies to Donald Trump that turned out to be um, more interesting than I thought for sure. You know, uh, like the Operation Crossfire Hurricane stuff. And um, yeah, there, there were just aspects of like the relationship between these people uh, that like was actually legitimately interesting to explore uh, whether or not you believed the full Q QAnon stuff. And like, let's be honest, there were already hundreds of posts. It was always kind of disputed which ones were real even early on. So there was a lot of stuff to go through. Like, you know, I think um, Jake was more of an enthusiast. And so I, we kept running up against the problem of like, he doesn't know QAnon that well. He, he, you know, he's just kind of excited about it, and it's 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 like he's seeing it from this kind of like every man's perspective of like I went on the Reddit boards and I used to really like our conspiracy and it's changed, but like why? And I'm not super down with this Trump guy, but like also there's these really interesting stories like coming out or whatever. And so he was kind of teetering on that edge, and I just wanted to like talk about like history, you know, and just say, well, you know, in the context of like you know the American Empire, like the a lot of these things are more shocking when you don't have any context for them, when you really feel like you, when you've bought into, you know, the idea that America is spreading, you know, democracy on some level or that they've found the best way to organize themselves and that's why they rose to like global hegemony, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, so in this soup of the beginning, we met Travis who was like kind of obsessively tweeting about um, he was going straight to the the boards. The drops, yeah. And not even the drops. He was going straight to people people baking, which was the essence of how QAnon was really forming, was that social bonds and these communities that were being formed and the interpreters, the bakers. Mm -hmm. And so he was going and looking and saying, what's the, what, what are the, what, what are the things they're talking about? Like, what are the, the prevalent beliefs? Like, what are the things that they're sharing? And so he was like the only person doing that online. And so we ended up having him guest and we're like, oh, wow, this is like kind of the missing piece, you know, because like our three interests then form like an interesting 
not to become didactic about what QAnon is or isn't uh, or what the context means, but instead to have three different approaches or perspectives or types of people. And that the, the interaction between those could help people understand it better because the phenomenon itself was born in the social bonds. Like the way they were affecting families was a, a, an inherently personal um, thing. It manifested in the bonds we they had with each other. Like Oh, my, the, the wife pilled the husband, right, you right. know, and like now they don't sleep and they've been researching and now they're organizing an event like on the Washington Mall. So we were like watching this stuff grow. And I wouldn't say we predicted it would get that big. I just, it was getting big online, What you know, and I think that, you know, we spend a lot of our time online, like Jake and I and definitely Travis. And so for us, we were interested in it as a, as a basically a niche phenomenon, like some, something like. Uh, unique and fascinated that was totally undercovered. There was, when we started the podcast, there was a single podcast episode um, when you searched like the the kind of like pod apps covering it, a single episode of a single podcast. And we're like, well, I mean, this is like a really deep, weird thing. There's all these drops. We don't know who this guy is. There's this mystery behind it, which to this day kind of persists. We've had a few really good answers, uh, but never a smoking gun. We've never been able to catch anybody writing those drops or prove that they had that text stored locally before the drop appeared or something like that. We just, over time, the mystery has become more interesting because we know at the very least, like, let's say like the guy who, you know, the guy running the board and the guy who had to verify it several times. And then there's all these theories about it being hijacked early on. And um, so there was a lot of uncertainty and I felt you know, like with a lot of this stuff, what we were seeing people react, like you were mentioning, is in a like totally partisan and dismissive way, like super dehumanizing kind of stuff. Right. The early word for them was cutards. And mm. I was just like looking at this and watching this this kind of form. And I was like, well, this could suck. Like if 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 we examine this through, I don't know, some like ancient, like, you know, weird like coastal anti-hillbilly sentiment you know this kind of like i don't know the, this this rage i guess like that the liberals uh were experiencing like a real fit of rage during the early trump years and meanwhile trump wasn't doing any of the cool like fascist shit he had promised his like his his crazies his army you know his his heretics like that he was that had really marshaled this victory honestly you know and help them get in. And the disappointment that they were feeling in not seeing any of these things came tr come true created this vacuum for them where they needed an alternate explanation um, because they would like turn on the news and it was like, he's a monster or like whatever right. Fox's take on it, which was just as useless in, in another way. Um, and they were like, well, actually, there's probably like a secret battle and he's actually doing this stuff for us, you know? That was why Q was so fascinating because it was a prophecy that was always more about kind of reading the tea leaves and interpreting them and making whatever you wanted to out of them. And it didn't really matter that it didn't culminate into Trump overseeing the mass arrests or maintaining power because it just was about what people took away. It was like... It was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And and as you mentioned, I mean, there were definitely more than just winks and nods from like Donald Trump Jr. I mean, on Instagram, mm -hmm. I remember him doing like a W, you know, where we go one, where we go all. Mm -hmm. Michael Flynn doing the around the fire pit of like with his family doing like a pledge right. to where we go one, where we go all. Donald Trump himself just constantly signal boosting yeah. QAnon accounts. And that was like later. But I mean, during during the onset of this, I'd. I, I, I'm sure 
you know, that we both agree that like Pizzagate and the spirit cooking thing and like even Julian Assange's kind of validation of the Seth Rich stuff, promoting the spirit cooking and Pizzagate stuff from Ben Swan and the like. I mean, that was like a bomb that went off like during the Hillary Clinton campaign. And that just seeded what turned into Q. And what's so fascinating about it is it's like you look back, you know, you're talking about the intersection of like history and how these kind of the satanic panic resurgence manifests into all these different interpretations of of reality and it's just it was just so fascinating to see all of this unfold because we you know we were following the WikiLeaks dumps like pretty closely and the Podesta files and like I I just saw where it was going and I was like this is going to be fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean there's like a weird almost like normified version happening right now with the Twitter files. Like an, a, a a genuinely interesting cache of things is being selectively released and uh you know, it's like there's lot lots of hands in the, the you know, like just messing with it and I think that, you know, it's the fact, I think what was so fascinating for me was the fact that the very first drop was like essentially like a retweet, like a re-drop mm-hmm. like by Q of like a claim that Hillary Clinton was going to be arrested the very next morning. And they built an entire, I mean, we're almost at 5,000 drops now, an entire movement on being dead wrong from day one and predicting it on a 24-hour <laughs> fucking turnaround. That is amazing. That means we've passed a point where you can't even call it like millenn- millenarianism. There's no, there's no like, you don't even give yourself like, even the dumbest millenarians give themselves like a year, like something, you know? Um, and it didn't matter because at that point, the culture was shifting profoundly, you know, in a, in bigger ways. And like QAnon coming uh, about on like the Chan board, which was like the exhaust for all of these, like the darkest kind of most like disaffected people, uh, people plotting, you know, mass shootings, people trying to promote, uh, you know, Hitler, like all these people mixing together, people becoming enamored with this like cartoon frog and like yelling it at Hillary at a speech. Like there was this bubbling was happening no matter what. And I think there had to be a place for people who had been conditioned by years of insane right-wing nationalism, uh, evangelicalism and just Protestant Protestantism in general in American culture. And so that was always going to create a kind of, um, I guess like a murderous patriotic fervor and also, yeah, a full on satanic panic. Uh, which and is, just the rejection of like liberalism, like as a kind of this, you know, knee jerk thing that But they it wasn't the woke ascribed critique, right? It's like it's, right. it's like the like you're a you're a satan you're satanic, actually, right, right. you know, and like I Which think, embodied the the media too. Yeah. Which was, you know, because it didn't help yes. that they were just, you know, dismissing all these people as like the, you know, the basket of deplorables and all that. Absolutely. There was a sense that, and there wasn't just a sense, like the media went completely crazy and were both like profoundly kind of responsible for elevating Trump. I mean, Hillary said deplorables. She was the one who picked Trump as the Pied Piper candidate. Mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff was like self-inflicted. And then it was just this, this barrage, um, you know, across all channels to say this man was a unique, vulgar mistake. And so as soon as you have that conspiracy theories arise, and I think a lot of them, you know, including the Cambridge Analytica thing and Russiagate, you know, it's not to say that there's not true elements or actual like scandalous parts of it, but a lot of it just falls apart. 
uh, it's it just doesn't stand up under like scrutiny and time uh and but like that that fury was there what what's interesting with QAnon is it's not a fury it's actually like a layback like i'm i'm content i'm actually smiling kind of thing you know it's like enjoy the show take out the right. popcorn um you know trust the plan you know it was actually a way for people who realized that getting their guy in wasn't actually going to pay off, which is like, hey, that's every voter <laughs> learns that, right? But it was their way of like being like, nah, but we won. Yeah. You know? Right. Uh, and it's like you're a year in and you're still furious at Hillary Clinton, but you won. You fucking won. Like, I'm sorry, but like, you know, I was like a Bernie guy in the primary. If we won, I would... I would not be still angry at Hillary Clinton, you know? I would just drop it and fucking move on with my fucking life, you know? Even if Bernie was disappointing in the long run or something. But, like, they created um, a, an alternate patriotic religion, uh, and it uh, it was so attractive on a basic cultural level that it became, um, yeah, it went viral. Like, it went truly, like, viral. It's, it did. It was a contaminating idea because it was so fucking attractive. It really was, and and I think that's why I knew it was going to be big because it was insidiously reaching people that I just were like new age people here in LA, like like really yeah. just interesting people that I would have never expected to get into this who hadn't even been open to conspiracies in the past. It was like all of a sudden this was affecting friends of friends, work you know colleagues of like my friends and family and family members themselves that were completely captured by QAnon and. We even saw, I mean, it turned into like, I don't know, like one out of four or five people at Trump rallies would be, you know, sporting the Q gear and talking about this stuff. And so it, it definitely was fascinating how quickly it spread. And like you said, it was like people were just like, I'm I'm in the know. Like you're in that subculture yeah. of like, you know the truth. Um, but you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the fact that the Ron Watkins thing, and I feel like we have to address this because you guys were actually featured in Colin Hoback's into the storm that six part HBO series it was I thought it was great um but yeah I mean do you is there a consensus that Ron Watkins was Q and stole the moniker from that random guy in Australia or is it still like we haven't really solidified that as the truth I think that is the closest we have to the truth and there is no doubt that Ron and Jim facilitated Q that could mm -hmm. mean anything from like they oversee the drops to they write the drops. I mean, they have... They're involved. They have a history of, like, being involved with a web of weird flunkies, like weird, you know, people. And I agree, Colin's documentary was incredible. And he was one of the only people who was doing in-depth, like, full-time work on this movement when we, like, right towards the beginning of us starting the podcast. He was in touch with us almost immediately. Wow. And he was already like, I think I kind of know who it might be. And he just wouldn't tell us. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> hey, fuck you, Cullen. <laughs> yeah, thanks, well, but it's a, it was really, really good work, really in depth, and um, and I think that that's what we can say for sure is that they essentially are the people in charge of secretly behind closed rooms validating who Q is in public, validating who Q is, providing the infrastructure for Q to post, rearranging the infrastructure so Q could continue to post. And at that point, you go, well, what's the difference, right? I mean, right. we might find out like that um, the posts you know, are being made by a team of people or specific, it's two, it's three, it's 10. Actually, it was this guy, he got bored, this guy replaced him. Like, There's a story there, and we've dug. It's really hard, though. It's a mess of like 
discords and people trolling each other and people running like campaigns to convince each other of different things. There's literally scammers that like exist within that story that have created whole tangents for like a subsection of people who observe Q where they have really weird conspiracy theories about who Q is, you know, and they are just as far gone. Like they are just as far gone. Uh, it, it's, it's wild to, to, to kind of see how it wasn't just the right that was ready to go down these kinds of paths. It was all of us. It was boiling mm -hmm. in the American, like, you know, yeah, consciousness. And I, think, and I think part of it too, it's like, you know, also on, uh, on the, QAnon Anonymous a podcast, you have a great show called Man Clan, which I love. Oh, um, yes. And I think that one of the points that you make in that show, I think kind of plays into the spread of QAnon also. It's on the one side, yeah, you have the uh, American history and culture and conditions in the U.S. that create uh, the, the atmosphere for something like this to really take hold really fast, like toxic masculinity, like all these things that in, yep. in Man Clan you go over. But then you have the, this other ecosystem of just content creators. So it's not just that the conditions exist for something this to take hold. You then have this whole world, this for-profit world of people who are just trying to create content. Mm -hmm. And then the spread of Q, so much of it was those, the bakers, like you said, the yeah. people that were just, we need to create content about this. And then like uh, all these different masculine uh, influencers, the only way you can break into and be successful in that is if you create your own niche or stand out in some way to others. And so, yep. of course, QAnon would branch off into a million different things, too, because you have people trying to make money off it. And to make money off it, you have to kind of create your own little angle to it that nobody uh, has done yet. So it's like a yeah. really weird, dangerous cocktail, not just for these two things, but like for a lot of things in America. Yeah. And like the disaffected guys on the Chan boards, like they always knew that they weren't going to be that person. Like, you mm -hmm. know, they were like, we need to find like I don't know, like a fucking YouTuber. Like they, they, they understood that to reach normies, they couldn't just be posting about this in a closed ecosystem on 8chan. And so they kind of purposefully formed some relationships with early, what they called QTubers at the time when yeah. YouTube was still, you know, really instrumental in spreading this stuff because it would make people furious or react or share. And any reaction is, is metrics. So right. it, it just, you know, obviously, um, Again, like there was the fertile soil, the the sun, the water, like all these things had to combine for it to be perfect, like the profit motive of these big companies mm -hmm. that don't care like what you're being subjected to. Right. And then the smaller like uh, profit motive or fame motive of like all of these people who need a new angle, right. who who were nobody until they started mm -hmm. doing the Q shit and right. then saw their numbers skyrocket. Yep. Yep. That story is like yep. the early Q uh, um, story for like mm -hmm. the people covering it on these um, social media platforms. But as soon as it started hitting Facebook, YouTube, it was over. Because all you need to do uh, is if someone's already predisposed, it's like you're basically, they just, what they needed is to surf deeper. They wanted to, they're on like the internet drug mm -hmm. and someone tells them, you ever tried to like not use Google? And it like fucking destroyed them. You know, it's like because they, they had no ability to take in something that wasn't, you know, this, this kind of facade of like this tech, this gleaming tech like empire built on like kitten videos or whatever, supposedly. But beneath that was like a simmering mess that went right down to the chans and all the way up to like, you know, demented YouTube videos and like neo-Nazis and stuff. And it's basically like telling them like, take off the safe search. And it's like an entire generation of people um, of all ages. But of course there were a lot of boomers. People do, you know, say that and hey, that is the story of early QAnon. It wasn't the story of QAnon 
uh, right before the pandemic or during the pandemic, like that, that changed a lot. And like you said, I mean, suddenly we're seeing it like on the West Coast in communities where you're like, oh, you were just like a yoga person or whatever. It's letting people square, letting people square the circle of like dissatisfaction, you know, whether it's like getting let down by new age, like I'm not fucking ascending, you know, or like... <laughs> There's so many reasons I think that like we we need the harder drugs suddenly. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work anymore to just like do the the normal stuff. We want more and more esoteric stuff. And then YouTube figures it out. They're like, Absolutely. Oh, we know. Like we can, we're literally identifying a consumer that's like clearly going out of control here. This like mother of three, I'm sure you could they could have that data if they wanted to, is you know, using uh YouTube eight hours a day and all she watches is like far right conspiracy videos and she's doing it till four in the morning and she's a nurse, you know, and like that's the story of the woman who organized the first Q rally at the Washington Monument. And this is an interesting aspect of it, because this was quite early. Anyways, so they were the very first Q event that wasn't a MAGA rally where you had a subsection of Q people. It was like you know, we're called the Red Pill Road Show. Like we have Q drops and Q influencers, and they're all going to get together um, on the Washington, uh, the mall, uh, right under the monument. And it was like pretty. It was like hundred, hundred fifty people. Like really quite small. Everybody was like, you know, pretty wild. Like I mean, one guy brought up the Jewish question, like from mm -hmm. stage. Like you know, like it was pretty. Like there was already like all of the signs of like how bad it could get. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like a picnic, but it was like. Everybody was like there to get along and to be like, you too, huh? Like, you know, because they'd lost like, you know, family members or like people treated them weirdly or whatever. Mm. And they weren't very paranoid. They were just there to like genuinely share like for in their mind, the good word, you know, like, hey, would you like to meet Q? Q? He, he has a plan for you kind of thing. <laughs> and um, the FBI was there. Like, we know we know that uh, because because I, I later like I went back to Trump um, after we were done with that. Um, I'd, we'd kind of been really like trying to go undercover so we could befriend people and get more of like the, the inside story. And since we're not journalists, we don't have to fucking follow any editorial rules. So we were just pretending to be Q people. And uh, we ended up at the Trump Hotel afterwards with the organizer. So she's a nurse. Um, obviously, I'm not like trying to name them, but like, because they've stopped since like organizing. But mm -hmm. she's a nurse. Her husband was like, worked for like a big energy conglomerate. Like, like you know, some of, like these were... On the f face of it, like normal, like working people who were like, I want to dedicate a bunch of time to organizing these things. And she would tell you, like, I haven't slept, like, since I found this stuff. Like, yeah. you got to see what they're doing to the right. kids and stuff. I showed him. He can't sleep now. You know, it, it, they, you could you could see they were going deep on it. But when they applied for the, the permit, they applied f to literally hold a protest against the deep state. That's what it said in That's the permit incredible. that she showed me at Trump Hotel. That's incredible. So I was like, oh man, we should frame that, you know, like, hey, show me. That's part of history. And she sent it to me and like, I have it. And I looked at it and I was like, what, what is happening? Amazing. They approved it. They approved it. They're like, yeah, absolutely. Come protest the deep state. And then there was a light. It was broad daylight, super sunny. There was a giant like floodlight kind of thing that I guess illuminates the, the monument. And like, there were just like guys repairing it, quote unquote, the whole time. And they all had like DSLRs and like equipment wow. and stuff. And they were just walking around like, you know, and they had a van, of course, you know, and, and we, you know, we looked at the footage later and stuff and we were like, oh my God, like they're just like kind of watching them kind of deep like. Deep state operatives, baby. The deep state came to your deep state protest. <laughs> like it rules. I like, mean, it I was mean, wild to us. That, that, I think that's. It's so interesting that that happened because the whole mass censorship of 
and the purge of QAnonymous postings and, of course, 4chan being taken down. And then, of course, it bled into social media after the rave of all the disinformation weaponization and stuff. And then, I mean, I guess it's like, for me, it almost seemed like it stimmied the movement, but I don't. I don't know if it just pushed it further underground and it just kind of further, I mean, no matter what, it further legitimized the belief system because it's just the establishment cracking down and pretending like, or I mean, positing as if this movement is a threat to power. And liberals basically were so offended by the existence of Q, just like they were about Trump in general, that they just wanted to sanitize everything from their reality and purview. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the interesting aspects of the Twitter files. But, you know, like I mentioned on the podcast, but we we had discussed this. Like I found out um, easily over around the time where the bans started happening, the proper crackdowns, where they were really cleaning up Twitter. They suddenly like started cleaning up YouTube and stuff like that. I knew at the time, like I I had like firsthand information that like these were rooms in which there were people from the agencies working with these private companies on like drawing up ban lists, identifying who's a problem and who's not with people who were on Twitter, who, um, you know, are part of, uh, you know, like it's, it's your usual profile. It's like OSINT or whatever, or like part of like a, a kind of uh, some sort of publicly funded, you know, research on disinformation or extremism. But these people were actually were working for intelligence agencies mm-hmm. and they were drawing mm-hmm. up the ban list. And at the time, you know, it's like as much as you want to like laugh, like, I mean, some of these videos were horrible. I get why you would take them off. There's like, 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 I don't know, photoshopped stuff of child abuse on it. sucks. Like it sucks. I get that. But I also could see that we were absolutely letting in censorship. And historically, <laughs> it's never going to end with just the QAnon people. Like once you have that set up, once you have like the Twitter safety board, like working with the intelligence agencies full time, and they just like have a person stationed there to like oversee everything, <laughs> then we're dealing with a totally different world. I mean, I think that it, it, you know, um, what's pathetic about the Twitter files is just like how botched this is. Like you couldn't fuck a reveal like this up worse than the way they released it, who they gave it to, the fact that Elon fucking Musk is 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 probably like redacting anything he wants. You know, it's it's really disappointing because I think there's like a genuine question around censorship and like. And it's not partisan. I mean, that's the thing. This all started with Russiagate. It, st- it started with, I mean, we all know who's been victimized by this and it's Iranian affiliated accounts, Cuban yep. diplomat. I mean, it's like Cuban nationals, Venezuelan people who are like going against whatever the establishment narrative is about Venezuela. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it goes so far beyond just conservatives. And so oh, the fact that yeah. Elon Musk put all of this out there is so harmful really to what censorship really means and the existence and reality of it. I totally agree. And it's also shirking um, responsibility because it's a bipartisan consensus to like increase these people's budgets and like empower them more and more Mm -hmm. to like spy on us. And Elon Musk has actual contracts with like the very people that like, Mm -hmm. He is a military-industrial complex yeah. fucking operative, dude. Absolutely. I mean, there's just, like, it's like, I have a, I have a contract with the Pentagon, but I'm, yeah. I'm bothered that they drew up <laughs> ban lists of QAnon people. Right. I don't, I mean, there's just so much, um, and that's what I hate about it. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, if you couldn't design it better to, like, be dismissed by, like, relatively rational people. Just on the basis of like, well, it's coming from this guy. Well, this well, Barry Weiss is in fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. I'm not even going to bother, you know? I mean, the Israeli government like goes to Twitter <laughs> yeah. boards and says like, right. we need to remove, or like Instagram and Facebook. It's yes. like, we know that they do this. And so why are you omitting? It's just such such lie by omission. And yeah. 
it is very problematic because the whole weaponization of Russian disinformation narrative was based on the Bernie bro stuff, like Mm -hmm. all that stuff to just feed into what we're going to talk about next, Cambridge Analytica, and like Mm -hmm. all of it to basically distract from the reality that Trump won because he was popular. And we, I mean, I was at the receiving end of that because I worked for Russia Today. So it's like, it's totally offensive to anyone who is following this stuff. Yeah, and I mean, this it was all what was moving in that direction anyways. Like, the, the, the funny thing about, like, the entire debate about it is like, no, we're going to get more censorship. We're going to get more surveillance. Like, there was never a question. This isn't a battle over, like, the material reality of where we're heading with this stuff. It, it's, it's, it's just, like, perception games. And um, I think, uh, you know, it's... We've never had, like, a such a nice... Um, just a perfect internet. There's no, there's no part of online debate that doesn't profit the increasing military budget. Like there's, there's no, there's no part of it that that wouldn't lead you to that conclusion. I mean, now you have uh, liberals living in a new militaristic uh, mindset, like that has been freshened somehow. Like um, as if they somehow, you know, I mean, it was very symbolic that they would embrace a neocon like Bush. Uh, when Trump hit the scene, mm-hmm, right. because it was suddenly admitting, oh, well, that was just a squabble. That was just a squabble between us. Like, this is the real problem. And you go, well, w- wait, what was a squabble? Like, the these insane, unending foreign wars that we keep pouring money in, like the, 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 essentially continuing the Cold War and at a, at a series of like proxy sites. Uh, you know, what, what, what do we agree on exactly? And it's like, it seems to be at this point that, um, we all we all want to be patriots. We all we're all patriots, and it's just like you are a traitor. That's that's now what the left tells the right in, and I'm not talking about the real left. I'm talking about the what passes for left wing mm-hmm. belief in the mainstream media is literally just calling people traitors. Like who's who's the good general? Who's the bad general? And there's just like it seems so locked in and so different than. Um, you know anything like in the wake of the church committee or during like like the the more powerful anti-war movements even as late as as uh you know the, the bush era it's just so like we've it's like if if you if if you know if you're interested in uh ending these wars if you're interested in a totally different approach to like foreign policy and not continuing like you know subjugation and enslavement and 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 you know just genocide campaigns like you, there's no no one's representing you anymore oh, no, like no, absolutely. it's very fragmented very tiny subsection of one of the parties and then some of the almost always acting in bad faith parts mm. of the other party there's like nobody you can count on so i understand why like you know we did a two parter um with with mike on Tulsi gabbard that was so good and it's like i get why we are looking for these these figures right it's like Anybody who will tell us, like, actually, both of these sides are pro-war, maybe we should actually reduce, like, the military budget, even if they're pandering and bullshitting about it, it's like a breath of fresh air. And it, But I think it also caters to a lesser and lesser percent of the population these days. I think there is, like, a real 
hunger. And more than ever, the debate is like, who do we drop the bombs on? Not do we drop them? And well, it's so weird because the CIA used to be like, I mean, it was ridiculed so much before 9-11. You know, I mean, it was seen as this evil, sinister organization as well it should be. And then it Couldn't just really got this even massive... even operate on college campuses. Yeah. They were like yeah. hated in academia. Yeah, massive yeah. rehabilitation campaign. Now you see all these intelligence agencies just gallivanting around, pretending that they're fighting fascism. It's so fascinating yes. when they are representatives of it. And so, to your point, there is this weird partisan exploitation of real deep state critique and left analysis of media institutions, um, just deep politics in general, war, imperialism. And it's so fascinating to me because not only would you never see an actual—we have social democrats in Congress, a handful of them, but you don't see socialists, you don't see communists representing us in the political establishment, but the narrative that's prominent— parroted by people like Elon Musk, who's actually like seems to be more closeted Q and like by the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, you know, he's going out there saying that the left controls all institutions in this country. That's like kind of the dominant thing that we're hearing right now, which is just so cartoonish and completely opposite than what the reality is, especially because it's infinitesimal the left representation really. And instead you see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, who literally were propelled by like QAnon mm -hmm. energy. And it's just incredible that the, it's been able to penetrate such high levels of power in the U.S., yet at the same time, it would be completely unheard of to see like an actual communist um, congressperson or senator talking about like conspiracy theories, deep state politics about like the JFK assassination or bringing up things like 9-11. And it's just so fucking crazy because it's been hijacked in a really smart way. I don't yeah, know who is behind really this. Because it used to be bipartisan. I remember a lot of these people who fell into QAnon, who fell into Pizzagate, who are now obsessed with Elon Musk, 10, 15 years ago were all on the same page. They all hated the Bush administration because I start, I was like involved in 9-11 Truth 15 years ago. So I remember a lot of these people. I knew Tim Pool. I knew like all of these people and to see them all go this, this direction. And it's just so crazy how they've fallen into the partisanship when really... It's bipartisan, as you mentioned, and even Trump himself, I mean, this anti-war outsider, right, this deep state fighter, he wanted a part in Assange, he wanted a part in Snowden, he wanted to end the wars, but at the end of the day, he was prevented to from the deep state, and you just keep going down this path, and it's like, it is just so fascinating to me, you would never see an actual left critique, and, and the fact that it's been hijacked and steered and engineered to essentially embolden the right-wing power system in this country is such a smart maneuver. And I, I don't I don't know like even how to explore how that's happened, but it has. Yeah, it's hard to tell like what is just like a series of feedback loops finally kind of producing uh, dramatically different results or like it, you know, I think we, we do live in an era where like everybody's like, everything seems like a psyop because like the whole system is is kind of like designed to just like produce these things over and over that inherently then are used to discredit um real investigation of power so from terms like disinformation to conspiracy theories um i think that these terms have become like just cudgels like they're completely stripped of like their original meaning because originally if 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 we assume there are conspiracies, which I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, this exists on Earth historically and in every way. Uh, people have conspired to consolidate power, keep it, get it, whatever. Um, then a theory 
presented about that should be taken on the value of that theory and whether it's connected to reality or or like like holds up under scrutiny and actual like rigorous investigation, not whether it is a theory about a conspiracy, because those are important. We have to sometimes think uh, what's like try to imagine what's happening and then try to test out theories about like what's happening and how um, power is, uh, you know, uh, conspiring behind closed doors. The problem is a lot of it is automated now. So it's like, it's almost like, well, yeah, we've designed like a, a an algorithm kind of like on a system-wide basis that's just kind of directing us in a broad, you know, direction. And there's, there's less and less of a need for the guys actually getting together in the room and agreeing to do something because it's just like super self-reinforcing. I mean, you know. Right, right. It's like Elon fucking Musk. I mean, he's like the richest man in the world. Of course he believes in cultural Marxism, you know. Right. It's like, and then he's going to get the biggest platform because he can buy the platform. And then it's like all the all the profit incentives and all the structures are just set up to so we would achieve this result over and over whether or not people got together in a room anymore and we're like, this is our goal. Um, um, which is kind of horrible because it has created a situation in which um, people are lost and completely irrelevant and and uh, and insane, frankly, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. for real. Like people are like losing their minds completely. It's not. It's no longer based in reality in in some part. And then, uh, but additionally. Uh, even if you are trying to investigate it, everything is so decentralized and hard to put your finger on. It's being designed to like essentially distribute its weight at, so that no single node uh, can be taken down. I mean, it is like, you know, you want to talk about like decentralization. I mean, capitalism is the best at doing that, at actually kind of hollowing out uh, what look like kind of authoritarian power structures like the presidency of the United States and m- making them almost meaningless and hollow so that you change the conductor, but like the tune keeps fucking going, you know, and like you're like, well, how, how could this happen? How could this happen through several um supposedly opposing uh uh you know periods of rule i mean how can obama continue the seven country strategy across the middle east like essentially to the t like that's in retrospect it seems so insane because if you looked at media we were presented with the idea of like a drastic change literally change Mm -hmm, hope mm -hmm. these were the words that were supposed to be employed and the the difference that was split was like well mm, we'll do it with like less oversight, more uh, black operations, we'll move this like off the books, we'll do it with more drones, uh, less ground troops. Like the lesson was uh, just one of degree, like it wasn't at all a question of, is it correct to rampage through seven different countries in like an attempt to continue and stoke up a proxy war and continue global hegemony? Is it, and and somehow secure even more money for the ever expanding like military presence like all around the world you know and i don't know i think that's like um that's really hard to cope with for any political movement i understand why the left is in disarray in the united states because like you we're not even it's like it's hard to even identify who we're fighting right you know right so some people will be like you got we got to fight the democrats first we're going to take over the democratic party and other people are like focus on the republicans like they're the evil ones that are changing the deeper laws like abortion and stuff like that and i'm like i get why everyone is putting forward these <laughs> these plans of you know resistance or attack but like it it um 
And then there is this hive, men, hive mind mentality in terms of the right wing consumption of like the agitation propaganda. When you see yeah. even people like Elon Musk, who's posting just literal fake news to Hillary Clinton about Paul Pelosi's attacker <laughs> being, you know, his gay lover. And it's like, this is oh. so bizarre that this is where it's going. But on the yeah. left, it almost seems just more fragmented than ever before, which is why yeah. it's so important to have podcasts like yours. Like there is a facet of society that is like hungry for this material analysis that goes deeper than yes. what we're being presented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that right wing propaganda has become so popular. And that's, yeah. that's like, it, it seems like that's primarily where the Q energy has gone. Like yes. the COVID disinformation and this shit now, even like, you know, the, what is it, the Epic times, <laughs> like yeah. fall on gong funded, you know, oh cult news. And it's just like, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's totally true. It's like the the disarray of the political sphere and the complete distrust because of yeah. how we have been deliberately lied to and intentionally misled by by politicians. And like, so of course, when you see people, I mean, like Marjorie Taylor Greene being like, "Why are we funding neo Nazis in Ukraine?" or what you know, what what is this about? And then people are like, "Look, the realignment is real. Like the the right is mm -hmm. now." anti-war and all this shit is like, it's I get insane, the, the yeah. need to believe, right? Yeah. You need to believe just like the Tulsi Gabbard stuff, because it's like, it, our faith is so I just gone. I just would tell those people, I got a bridge to fucking sell you. You know, like these people, um, they, there's zero chance that they're on your side in whatever capacity that means. Um, but it is interesting that we are in a place where they can essentially like outflank the left on the left. That is what's interesting to me about it is how, what gave the space for this to flourish and for this to be listened to and, and to become meaningful that you would have, you know, an anti-war statement by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's like, shoot socialism, crush everything. Yeah, right. Like she is like a perfect little soldier of empire, like bloodthirsty she's invested ruthless. in some fucking giant yeah. defense contractor too yeah yeah and she wants to like clean up the you yeah, know the right. jewish problem like the <laughs> execute mexican people she yeah was saying, like, like let's go after the cartel yeah absolutely so i like i think it is very fascinating that we've created uh, a situation where even like someone like elon musk couldn't get a bigger poster boy for capital yeah <laughs> for you know like to a cartoonish degree you know you, you'd have to if someone wrote this in a story like a few years ago it's like he's the richest man in the world like he has it, it contracts with the department of defense and he will be treated as a maverick and a whistleblower Renegade, like, baby give me a fucking break <laughs> oh my god well what is he doing what do you think he his intention is because i don't think that he just wants to be popular i don't think that he's just bored and lonely although that maybe has something to do with it but there is something to be said about why he is investing so much time to almost become the new like Trump revered figure by these really extreme right wing media figures like Andy No, Ian Miles Chong, Mike Cernovich, like he spends all day just kind courting of courting them. Yeah, courting them. What what is going on? Like my brother brought this up and just said like it almost seems like he's vying for the same position as this kind of outsider to harness the influence while painting himself as this supposed anti-establishment renegade while being an oligarch, formerly the richest man in the world. Um, it is really strange because it kind of does remind me of like what Trump was able to do. Yes. But where is he going with this? It's fucking crazy. It is very hard to tell. I do I do think that on some level, he's like integrated the lesson that visibility equals value, yeah. which is just so... 
it's obviously like in every way spiritually wrong and will destroy our world if we believe that. Uh, but it's also incredibly an incredibly canny way to navigate, um, you know, uh, being that visible because you've accumulated that much wealth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because mm -hmm. you do a very public version of P.T. Barnum's like uh, <laughs> magic show. Like you don't have a choice, I think, for someone like him to be visible or less visible because what he's aiming for um, is like a profoundly narcissistic thing. Whereas like you can look at like Bill Gates and be like, it's narcissism. Yes. But like, he doesn't want to be in front of the cameras. That's a painful mm -hmm. moment. Right. For him. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is not out there talking about, no. you know, you, they're like, ah, that's an uncomfortable yeah. They want thing. to enjoy being rich, which right. Elon Musk seems it's he different. does not care no. about. Elon Musk cares about like everyone knowing and remembering that name right. forever in some way. And, uh, but also like at this point, instead of like becoming, I don't know, some sort of like Napoleon, um, you just like, you just like his meme. He's like, his brain yeah. is meme. It's like a technocratic dystopia because when you see what else he's invested in, it's like really crazy. The Starlink shit's actually really nuts. And, mm -hmm. and he just put Starlink in Iran. I just re realized we had it in our car when I turned on the satellite navigation. Like, yeah, cool. Starlink, they came on. I was like, yeah, wait yeah, a yeah, second. Yeah. <laughs> Starlink. Yeah, no, it's Don't super look weird. Into that. <laughs> because, I mean, he, he's literally helping kill people in Ukraine, right? Kill Russia. I mean, he, he set up Starlink in Ukraine. So at the same time, he's pretending to agitate against like the deep state. Meanwhile, he He's helping well, I mean, facilitate right. war. He's actually investing Starlink into yeah. Iran, talking about helping them with the revolution. I mean, it's it's actually really Machiavellian and like genius to a certain extent, even though he's really fucking dumb and baby brained at the same <laughs> yeah. time. So yeah, I, yeah. it's just hard to wrap your mind around what is going on here. It's just also really funny that like, you know, if you look at like anti-Semitism and even like the birth of, of Q and like the ties to blood libel, um, one of the big claims was like the Rothschild family is funding all sides of the war. And it's like, it, take away the racial element and the Semitic element and like, look at what Elon Musk is doing. Like the man is like going to win yeah. no matter fucking what, yeah. you know? And a lot of these guys of, of this class of like this oligarch class, that's kind of their gambit. It's like the bigger mess, the better. Cause like I'm running the cleanup crews. I'm running this, I'm running that. I'm running the place. You'll discuss it with your loved ones. Yeah. Like, um, but I also think that they're, they're profoundly nihilistic. Like they really think humanity is worthless and doomed mm -hmm. that, that we're like a kind of insect reproducing too fast. And so for them, I think collateral damage is like, they see it as like this product of history, uh, that is, you know, inevitable. And the question is, will they be near the levers of power to make history turn like in some way that they think is meaningful, but like, yeah, no, look at him. Look at like, I don't know, guys like Palmer Lucky or whatever. Like you're talking about people who like don't enjoy anything. Like, you know, they really hate other, I really think that, that he profoundly hates human beings and sees them as like objects and transactional, like, mm. you know? Um, so I, I think like, it's funny because then, you know, they'll broadly align with someone like, uh, like um, Alex Jones, who's always talking about like the anti-humanist agenda. I'm like, fuck, there's like no more anti-humanist agenda than someone um, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. The way he talks is like all about like AI, like his mind is a supercomputer. Yeah. And like that's why he bought Twitter. It's like very weird. And, um, and he's of, trying to do like the weird, like I'm going to inseminate as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he has like eight different partners that he's like, yeah. Uh, he's just like, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fucking, cre it's really fucking creepy. I want to just briefly touch upon like what. Were you surprised, going back to Q really quickly, because yep. I've always been fascinated about this, um, were you surprised how much it kind of fizzled out 
at least visibly, I know that 8chan turning into 8coon, yeah. um, but it, what was weird about it, it's like, if it really was Ron, I think it was also Jim because of how boomery a lot of it was, mm-hmm. um, but what's weird, it's like, not only did it not translate into political ambitions because he like lot, like dramatically lost of that course. local Arizona yep. election, but it seemed like he could have done a lot more. Maybe he was scared of the political ramifications because of how close the heat was getting to him with January 6th mm-hmm. and all of that, but it seemed like at the end of the day, he really could have like harnessed the power of Q and been like, let's go with pitchforks fucking today and like name like we're gonna go fucking take down this person. Um and it seemed like with all the ginning up of all the hysteria, just like didn't culminate into I guess Jan- was January sixth the culmination that kind of terrified him away, you think? Yeah. Or whoever it was. You gotta keep in mind that the Watkins are very used to dialoguing with uh, the FBI because uh, they have to give them information about their board uh, every single time a mass shooter posts like his right. entire, like, you know, live stream or mm-hmm. manifesto there. So, you know, he has a relationship. A game. Uh, yeah. He has that relationship and he knows. Like, I think he's scared, you know? Yeah. And he's tried to, like, monetize it in the weirdest ways. But the other downside is that these creatures of the chans do not survive the light. Like once you step out from behind the curtain right. and that's what the wizard looks like, mm-hmm. it's fucking over. <laughs> like they have no charisma, you know, yeah. um, especially Jim. And I think Jim, if you look at uh, uh, the Goldwater, which yeah, is still that, up. I, yeah, that's a bizarre But sight. the life of the Goldwater right. before QAnon uh, took hold. It's all QAnon stuff and he's trying to like put on a suit, shave his beard and mm-hmm. be like the presenter. He's profoundly deluded but he has always wanted that for himself and I think Ron has not. Ron is not like producing uh, like a mini series where he gets to be the presenter. I, I, I think he's always been uncomfortable in that role. He failed horribly in politics. Again, like zero charisma, zero ability to debate or I don't know, like uh, yeah, just very difficult for him and for Jim, he's always wanted it but he is um, he is he is a grotesque. He's not able to get past his own uh, grotesquerie. Like it's so apparent that you're talking to what he is, which is like a sleazy colonialist exploiter who was in the army, learned to treat uh, women, especially foreign women, especially like Asian women, as like mm-hmm. totally fucking disposable, and um, you know, run like a bunch of little like. Uh, you know, companies like a tyrant in the Philippines where you can get cheap labor, run your pig farm and all this stuff. So like, I mean, yeah, I think that he just, he just, uh, and that's why I guess some of these minds that like are just fantasizing about like, well, what if Christopher Columbus was right? Or like, Mm -hmm. what if we finally took care of the Jews? Like they really are kind of like thinking about these awful ideas, but they're not good at like interpersonal relationships or spreading them necessarily except for stuff like what Jim does, which is like create a structure of like violence where you can really control things as they rain down on like something and you exploit people. Right. Um, Along the lines of our entire fucking expatriate culture in these countries anyway. So it kind of like fits in, right? Mm Ex-Marine, all this stuff becomes a porn guy, you know? (laughs) Oh Um, yeah, I forgot about that. He made made a a lot of his money like basically uncensoring uh, Asian porn and re-importing right. it back yeah. into Japan where the censorship was the law, but he was doing it from the Philippines. So he was a able noble to... noble cause. Yeah, so like, <laughs> but that's what he is and I think it's like impossible to... Someone's say. gotta do it, man. Yeah, but that's why Trump is like the guy in front of the camera. Yeah, He's right. fucking trained his whole life and then you have these like, essentially like, people talk about like the dark, uh, what is it, like the dark intellectual or what? Oh, the intellectual dark web. Yes. So the real intellectual dark web for me is like people like Jim, like zero yeah, social yeah, yeah. skills, <laughs> like insane right. 
nasty beliefs and like a sordid past and you know um no, it's so true. And I wonder if it affects I wonder, everybody, even though it's the dumbest shit you've I ever know. heard. No, you're like, how? I, I how? think I think you're right that the unmasking and unveiling really kind of like took the pizzazz out of the ability to kind of harness that energy. But it's also interesting to think of what will happen with Trump during this presidential run because now he he's kind of had the win taken out of his sails because he he's at odds with COVID with Ron DeSantis, and now there's like this weird split. Um, but I want you brought up the intellectual dark web, and I, I feel like we have to just talk about man clan and people like Jordan <laughs> Peterson because yes. he seems to be fucking losing it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he always cried within like twenty seconds of <laughs> him talking about anything and like yeah. reverting to the, about the biblical Bible or like prophecies yeah. mm-hmm. like immediately. It's like very strange. But He's wearing a Twitter uh, colored suit with like very weird heads. like tweed. I mean, he he, um, he, he, he should be fifty one fifty. I the first episode was excellent. I listened to it. I can't wait to hear more it's it's a perfect commentary on just like male influential culture toxic masculinity talk about the podcast and why you think people like jordan peterson and now of course this giant controversy on about andrew tate who's admitting to sex crimes yeah. well we're preparing our episode on him so that's been like a, a work in progress and also going like okay maybe we should wait a bit more because there's stuff mm-hmm. still happening right. and because he's tweeting things about the matrix it's the deep state that got andrew I know, okay now he's, so now he's <laughs> But like, what is it about these people that have exploded in popularity among young men in this country? Yeah, well, I'm. I, first off, I, I, I'm just you know, Annie Kelly, who I do that podcast with. She has an actual PhD, you know, where she studied like the manosphere and like the conjunction yeah, with the politics manosphere? and stuff. Oh, so yeah. that was like she uh, is, yeah. you know, original. Like, Amazing, and 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 a, a big part of the podcast is her being able to synthesize like a lot of of like deeper research. But I had become obsessed with these men online because I it was hard for me to understand how they had built such a big following. And I think, um, you know, it's not like a big surprise. I mean, it's just like a huge part of the culture war is uh, the fight over what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, mm-hmm. well, you know, gender. They're trying to, you know, these. The woke mind virus, and I don't know what, and a lot of it, even with Elon Musk, it always like goes back to just like weird gender stuff, like yeah, where it's yeah like, right. A man's a man, a woman's a woman. It's like fucking cares. Yeah, it it, it it's uh, it, but it's also a kind of reconfiguring of a variety of different like masculine offerings that uh, were present in American culture after World War II. And over the course of industrialization, that like didn't really quite work out, right? So you had like. Um, you had your traditionalist, like uh, religious people who want, you know, like the whole trad thing. Uh, then you have uh, the beat poets, which was a kind of like, what if, you know, <laughs> what if like the man didn't have responsibilities? He wasn't like, you know, worked to death within the family unit, but that's because we're all actually having fun, man. And it turned into like a kind of a weird, like misogyny of like, you leave the city when you don't like the girl anymore. <laughs> you know, you just go write a book somewhere. <laughs> then you had Playboy, which was saying, no, 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 it's actually good to, to make all the money, but the, the, the problem is like your dumb wife, like who's sucking the money away and she's not letting you do what you want to do, which is have like a sweet man cave and bang broads with big titties or whatever. <laughs> so there were all these like these offerings that that were really like a a kind of response to the shifting nature of the model um, of a couple and the home, essentially, which uh for very short period in history meant like we won one breadwinner, it's the man. But that was not possible before like a certain phase of industrialization. Mm-hmm. And it very quickly became not possible again to just have like one breadwinner for the average uh, family or the average couple or whatever. So 
these shifting circumstances like just have been making people spin out in a million ways. And I think what defines our era the most is this profound loneliness. Like it's not just what is my relation to the other or how do we form couples or who's the breadwinner? It's like, who am I? And like the, you know, the, 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 the people I'm fighting in the culture war are like alien essentially, like they're other to me, you know? And, um, and all this frustration uh, lack of opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, the shift of the structures due to like, you know, industrialization or capitalism and all these, this loneliness that the dissolution of like social bonds and community bonds, uh, like, because capitalism is like an acid that was just poured all over it. And so there is like this struggle, right? It's like, at first it was like men go their own way, but like now that now people think of that as like, um, uh, you know, like a way of treating women, but like the actual point of that was like no women, <laughs> no relationships. <laughs> like it was really incel stuff, you know, uh, or sorry, it was really vol cell stuff. Mm-hmm. Like um, there was this idea, no, we're going our own way. Like, right. uh, you know, if we interact with women, it will be like, of course, as like they're inferior, they, they will be inferior and they are objects or whatever. But then there were like all these other movements happening, the new age stuff. There's like the, the, the trad Catholicism stuff coming back in and everybody, it feels to me, is struggling to to reinterpret um, the new conditions that we're in. And instead of dealing with like the underlying shifts and what they really mean in a tangible way, it's so much better to just be like, well, that person has yeah, blue reinforce hair. the hierarchical. They switch their pronouns, you know. It's like Jordan Peterson, yeah. It's really comfortable to talk about this right. shit. Like Jordan Peterson doesn't have to address anything systemic because right, he's right. always debating like, what is truth? What is God? Yeah. Is woman chaos? <laughs> like he he's it's great for him. Like, this right. is so... Th- he's drawing fucking cartoons with his brain. Like, he's... You put blush on your... Che- women put blush on their cheeks and you blush when you orgasm. Mm, so that yes. must mean you are trying to project an orgasm <laughs> yeah. to men when men they see you. Men don't throw snowballs anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that's like the men's movement, too, in, like, the 90s in the States. Like, the guy's, like, hair means sex because when... Uh, uh, the, I have this anecdote where this guy uh, grew a mustache and he met up with his mom and she couldn't even look him in the eyes when they talked. So <laughs> hair is actually sexuality and the mustache represents the pubic hair or whatever. And it's like, this is the same shit. Like, we're so ready for Jordan Peterson because, I mean, he's like a really shitty and like reactionary and um, right-wing version of like a struggle that we were already going through, which is all the stories are broken, right? Like the mm-hmm. mythologies are broken, the, the, the official narratives are broken, and we're just grasping at straws to explain our position in, in all of this where we place value in a world where like individualism seems to just have become like absolutely the accepted norm. Like, you know, um, meanwhile, there's a real sense that everybody's like, um, yearning for community, but we don't know what the fuck to do about it. And so people are like, yeah, what if we got together and like grunted for a whole weekend and like, you know, and so you have anything from like new age to like fascists who get together to like, you know, train with weapons and stuff and that's going to get them back their their manhood or whatever or i'm going to slonk eggs or i'm going to work out in this way or i'm not going to eat this or um and so the explosion of 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 like those versions of masculinity are really sad because it sees the masculine as like a totally individualistic thing like they they promise you reconciliation with a society that is imaginary right so that's why it's kind of so reactionary it's like 
once we get to the pastoral fields, which by the way, never existed where like the family is the family and stuff like that. And um, they're literally just thinking about like a tiny period of time, like from like the fifties to like the seventies right. or something. When black people didn't have any rights. It's yeah. Like, what no, a great course. time that yeah. was. Yeah. No, you don't want to time travel just for many reasons to that period. But like, they also like have a profound misunderstanding of history and they're all like throwing around like, oh, well, Romans did this and right. Greeks oh, did yeah. that. It's like, okay, well then let's just like have a harem of young boys that we bugger too. Like, I mean, <laughs> let's just pretend that like, I, I don't know. Like, I, and I think it is what's, what sucks is that people go online to like fix these problems that they could only yeah. ever fix with like the people closest to them or building That's community. That's true. That's why the cultural Marxism thing is so convenient for these people because it's not institutionalized. There is like this this trend in society to be more open, especially identity is fluid, sexuality is fluid, all these things which are great. But then the right wing exploits that to be like this. This is why capitalism needs to be our religion, identitarianism, and then they just reinforce these things. Cool. Not, it's like, a way for Jordan Peterson to yeah. justify his whole belief system and the propping up of like hierarchical yeah. structures that he claims exists through, you know, existed through all of time. So why change them? It's the status quoism and it's so dangerous because you can use things like movies and entertainment to pretend like this is somehow the structures of power in our society and and then be like no we need to go back to this and it's like that, that we are in that that yeah. is what exists mm -hmm. yeah what's really dangerous with him is that you know and just like all these guys it's just the 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 idea that they at the end of the day the unspoken reinforced and unaddressed thing is always capitalism and the idea of like a birthright to dominate another right mm -hmm. uh so it's like you're just <laughs> That's never examined. And so you could be like, well, is this like a giant psyop to like, you know, just keep us talking in circles? I don't think it even needs to be designed at this point. It's amazing. Right. That thing is fucking running yeah. like on its own energy. It's it's uh it's kind of mind-boggling because yeah, like it would be it would be horrible to think that our entire world is now, you know, kind of like has been colonized by this idea of individualism and capitalism together and like all these other annex ideas that are um, just so violent and uh, just disrespectful of like basic humanity and human rights is it's, it, it feels like we've given up and that's why we don't want to talk about it. Cause it's like, what, what if like the entire thing is heading towards a big mistake or we have to contend with the idea that, I don't know. We were born and we tried to like make money our whole lives and then we fucking died. Like it meant nothing or whatever. Yeah. Or and we, like, we went to war for oil instead of fucking an actual crusade that, you know, these people want, which is like at least the crusade would give you meaning. Like on a holy level, you were promised heaven. There was something there. Right. There was something. And now it's a globalized system. Like you said, it's like it's acting on its own and yeah. it makes it so much more abstract and difficult to even. Yeah you know, conceive of how we can fight this, but let's wrap this up because I, yeah. I know that you lived in France for a long time. Um, what is it about our culture specifically? Cause I, I mean, it does seem like America as the, you know, the, the world hegemon, the leading empire is specifically prone to this kind of crisis cult like phenomenon as our society denigrates and degenerates. I mean, our, our, you know, our entire quality of life is denigrating further and further. And it just seems like all hope and capacity for political change is extinguishing more and more. It's it, the fantastical thinking takes root. Conspiracism is so much more popular than it ever has been. And I say this as a conspiracy head that it's like <laughs> very, um, it's, it's not good what's going on because yeah. I mean, I'm open-minded to a lot of stuff, but all of the conspiracism that's taking root right now 
has no actual revolutionary like agitation mm. or deep political critique. And so it just seems like facts do not matter anymore. Media literacy is completely out the window and social media is only exacerbating this kind of like circular thinking. So first of all, why, I guess, wrap it up by just talking about why do you think America is is like this and where do we go from here and where's the podcast going from here? Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard to, I mean, you know, clearly I am like super interested in it. Uh, like I've been living here for some years and I want to stay here and I love I love to explore this, whereas like when I'm in France, I enjoy my time there, but it's like I don't get the same kind of professional, whatever profession you would call going to Q meeting or Q, <laughs> you know, Q, you know, Q gatherings and stuff like that, or having a podcast about something so weird. Like it's just something that you can't really um, necessarily have in the same way in Europe. Like you, it feels like you don't have the front row seat, right? I don't know. I always see it as like if the the peach is like molding, like there's always that like the fresh rim of like mm. blue, like right where the mold is, it's like happening or like it's become it's going from like the fruit's flesh to like the blue state, but it's right at that rim. And like that's kind of how I see a lot of this stuff, you know. It's just like I I kind of wanna I, I wanna observe it like closer, you know. Um I don't know what's so special about America other than the fact that, yeah, like it is an offshoot of so it's like already it was a vent for some uh, Western European frustration with like how things were going, whether it was because, you know, you weren't allowed to be crazy religious anymore or you weren't allowed to make money freely and just like enslave people in your backyard as much as you used to, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, and it was, you know, yeah, like a, a combination of um you know, kind of like hyper-religious uh, closed communities with the biggest crooks possible who were the <laughs> most ambitious and cruel and so made a name in this new world where, you know, it was all like kind of built on genocide. And then it also like pioneered mass media in every way, like completely redefined mm -hmm. our relationship to ourselves and to others um, by innovating it very quickly with technology by putting a system together that maybe in the long term was going to crash us into the wall, but in the short term was going to absolutely outclass, you know, uh, um, any kind of collectivist project like the USSR in terms of inventing technologies that would then fundamentally change us and how we, uh, we think, you mm -hmm. know, um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. It is like, you know, people call it like, you know, the 60s people are like the American experiment, like the American Petri dish. And like, but I actually do believe that like, it is a weird, uh, it's like a forecast for like the Western European like regime and um, those who are considered the good guys coming out of like the, the, the world wars and like the cold war. Um, and also, I mean, it's the only country on earth that has 600 military bases. Like, I mean, that is, and by a, by 60 or 70 fold like compared to the next person down uh so there's just no doubt that we're living in a kind of like um in a military kind of occupied world for the first time um the dream of you know on some level uh, of you know a napoleon or <laughs> or somebody like you know or a hitler really um but it's also happening in a way where like i don't think anybody's really like satisfied with it you know i think like even the the oligarchs are miserable <laughs> uh, because I, you know, and that's, that's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think in America, it's just so much more, everything's so much denser, even though it's a much bigger country. Like, um, it feels like these situations are developing in like a denser and smaller, smaller, uh, smaller turnaround time, maybe because consumption is such and waste and um, the production of like content and objects is so 
advanced here. So like accelerated, mm-hmm. we're really seeing, I think, like what would happen in a totally, totally deregulated state. Um, and Europe right. is heading that way. I mean, you know, Macron just mm-hmm. like put up the retirement age and right. it's like that, it seems like we both can see it's been a disastrous experiment and yet we have no other ideas. Like the the liberal, the neoliberal project, the, the project of uh, even the combination of those parties and the kind of synthesis of what happens and how it produces politic, political outcomes, um, doesn't seem to have any new ideas right now, uh, other than like what we've taught them to do, which is watch out for myself, you know, and Tulsi Gabbard's like the ultimate individualist, even though she's a part of a cult that like believes in like the sublimation of self for like the, you know, that she's still also um, very, very much more importantly, like a, an individualist and an opportunist, um, you know, get yours in your lifetime. And like, uh, I don't think anywhere the message is stronger than America. Get yours while you can, you know. <laughs> so true. What a beautifully summed up right there. Julian Field from Q Anonymous. Thank you so much for uh, breaking all this down. It was really great. It's been such a pleasure. 